You're listening to Midori House, first broadcast on the 24th of December 2018 on Monocle 24. This is a special edition of Midori House showcasing the best of our print media show, The Stack, 30 minutes of print industry analysis with me, Tom Edwards. Now this year on The Stack, we spoke to many editors from respected European papers, from what's considered the oldest in the world, Denmark's Viking Arvesen, to Austria's Der Standard. But we begin the show talking to a man who in fact helped to design and redesign many of the world's best papers. He shared some industry secrets in a book he helped to co-edit, Newspaper Design, Editorial Design from the World's Best Newsrooms, published by Gestalten. I spoke with Javier Area about the book. There are many, many newspapers that, as you said, are doing good in many countries. Of course, we can mention the great ones, as I said, New York Times and other good players like the Washington Post or the Guardian. I would prefer to mention other countries not so well-known I love Portugal. I would focus on Portuguese press. I don't know why they produce fantastic newspapers, both print and digital. I would like to mention Expresso, which is a weekly, like uh, The Observer or The Site in Germany. I would like to mention Publico, which is a fantastic morning daily, or e-journal. But also in countries like uh, Argentina, you have La Nación, which is uh, an amazing newspaper, uh, conservative, classic, typical browsing from past, but uh, more and more engaged to new techniques, data analysis, uh, visualizations, etc. So um, I love those two countries specifically. Uh, Javier, I wanted to ask a bit about the need to be disruptive. I know that's a bit of a cliche word these days, but as a designer, how do you need to marry up, uh, on one hand, the idea of being proficient, of being efficient, of being professionally sort of qualified and capable. With the other hand, this much more creative idea, this idea of changing things up, going off grid, mixing it up a little. Do you think that for a great designer, those two influences are kind of in, in opposition? Is it about balancing between them or, or is that is that not a fair way to characterise it? Uh, this is a big issue because uh, all the time I, when I arrive at a newspaper, the thing is how much we can, how far we can go, right? The most important thing in any project, and specifically with the design, is uh, to respect what I call the, the soul of the publication, the deep soul of the publication. If you respect this soul, if you are engaged to history, to the audience, to all the things behind, and you are respectful, you are humble then you can take as many risks as you want. I mean, and uh, I agree. The thing is how to balance both history, soul, with experimentation, which is, uh, in most of the cases, not just interesting, but essential to take risks and to get people involved in this kind of uh, more than revolution, evolution, I would say, all, all, all the time, right? And Javier, I'd also like to know, you know, for, for the listeners that don't know much about your work, I mean, you also, of course, you've, you've worked in the in newspaper design. You know, tell us a bit uh, about some of the titles that you've, that you've worked during your career. My background is journalistic. I'm a journalist, graduate, a journalism graduate here in Spain. I worked as a reporter and editor for quite many years before 
turning into the uh, visual area, right? And this is something that many people ask me about. I mean, why did you turn? Why did you leave writing, reporting, and went into, into the visual thing? I don't have any clear answer, but uh, what I can say is that this journalistic experience, my background, has let me understand much better journalists and uh, to live easier in a newsroom. Uh, uh, this is quite typical in my country, in Spain. I mean, many or most of the designers come from the journalism area. This is not usual in other countries. So uh, starting from this point of view, which is essential in my career, I can mention some really iconic projects where I, I'm very proud and happy to say that I, I work with specifically papers like Le Liberation in France, in Paris, which is an amazing paper, all the time in travel, economic travel, as you, as you, as you know. But uh, it's like an, a school of visual journalism. I mean, I learned a lot from Libé when I was a university student, and uh, I couldn't imagine any ever that I, I, I finally could work with them twice in 2009 and 2015. It was a privilege to share all the things there. Other interesting projects I've developed in, in my career uh, are Independent in London, for instance, which is uh, another iconic paper and uh, one of my uh, ever references in my life. I reached uh, the Independent in a very difficult moment in 2011, and it was a uh, a really fast and strange project. I'm very proud about all that project. It was quite misunderstood among colleagues. I have heard and attended uh, some congresses or conferences where colleagues of mine did critique very strongly my, my, my project, but I'm very proud of what, I, what we tried. Other papers specific, I, I work in South America, in Argentina, Mexico, for instance, but uh, also in India or Dubai, and uh, this is something really uh, interesting, how to deal with uh, non-Western languages. In these cases, I have to recognize that um, first you have to listen and try to respect those cultures, which are really different from, from ours. What I can say is that I've, I've been working in, in five continents through more than 20 years, which is uh, quite a history. And now, some good news from Slovakia. In a very crowded newspaper market, the independent Slovak daily Denik N has managed to carve out something of a niche for itself. A financial success story, the paper doesn't do daily news, focusing instead on long-form investigative reports and opinion. Monocle's Alexei Koryalov visited the paper in Bratislava. We have one, we have one newsroom and people in the newsroom are producing the digital and print content. I mean, actually, we produce for web first, and as everything is uh, behind the paywall, the best articles we publish during the day, we then uh, print in the print daily. Mm. So there are, there are no two different teams. I'm in the offices of the Slovak daily paper Dennik N in Bratislava. 
And with me is its editor-in-chief, Matos Kostolny. To everybody, to every reporter, every morning at 7 o'clock in the morning, they receive an email with the data coming from our subscription uh, system. The N stands for Nezavislost, or independence. And the paper's journalists are among some of the most trusted in the country. Four years ago, most of them, including Matos himself, were employed at Slovakia's biggest paper, Denik Sme. But then something happened. In summer of 2014, uh, I realized that the German co-publisher of the paper I used to work for, they're going to sell their 50% of shares to Slovak financial group called Penta. And this Penta group was involved in the biggest political scandal in Slovakia. They were like a symbol of corruption and political interference in Slovakia. So I realized that I don't want to work for them, and I announced to my publisher that I'll leave. And to my surprise, 50% of the newsroom, so more than 50 people, left with me. Matos and his team set about conceptualizing a new kind of broadsheet newspaper. And by January 2015, they were all set and ready to go. From the outset, they decided to do things differently. We realized that we don't want to be dependent on money coming from an oligarch or somebody who would be willing to pay for journalism. We don't want to be dependent on money coming from advertisement because uh, it's also tricky and it's kind of dangerous. We started uh, with our own paywall. We were trying to explain to our readers, future readers, we are dependent only on them and without their support uh, we will be not able to run the paper. And it's working so far? Yeah, and it's working. I mean, after three years, we're profitable. We started with, uh, let's say, 8,000 subscribers. Now we have 27,000 subscribers. The last year we ended uh, with a small profit, and this year it looks that we will be, will be profitable. We are able to hire new people, and we invest the money into journalism. Hmm. But when you say subscribers, you mean digital subscribers? A majority of them are digital. We, we have some print subscribers, but uh, to be honest, uh, we decided to run the paper uh, because we thought, okay, so there are still 10,000 of people in Slovakia who buy print editions of, uh, of newspapers, so why should we not try to offer them the, the content we produce? And we knew that the print edition is the best marketing tool we have because we will be on kiosks and people will read it. We didn't think that uh, the print copy will be in the base of our business. Doing things differently also meant focusing on more long-form journalism and avoiding news items altogether. Uh, in 2015 or 2018, there is no sense to pretend that somebody is reading yesterday's football results uh, from the paper. I mean, everybody knows it from radio or television or from his mobile phone. It's still cool to have a print copy in your hands. It's a different feeling than to read it on your mobile phone or on a computer. But there is no reason to run news stories in it because the moment you distribute the paper to the people, they already know it. So we're trying to run stories uh, which don't die during the night when the paper is printed. Mm. Well, we have uh, a couple of copies before us. Yeah. So this is not today, this is from last yeah. week, yeah? This is today's issue, but it's a special issue because uh, today is the anniversary of the Soviet invasion in Czechoslovakia. Yeah. So that's a special issue. It's 24 pages only about the anniversary and it's full of black and white pictures from this year, 68. 
And so, but you can still see the logic of the paper that it's uh, huge pictures because we believe that the nice picture, it's one of the reasons why I should read the paper. I mean, the feeling of the unique uh, design and long articles. So that was one article on four pages. Another article, double page, the whole paper is like that. But normally you would see paper like this. Is uh, There is a magazine cover page. Uh, we run one story on our front page because we believe that's the story of the day and we have to run it. And then we do a lot of politics. We have our own cartoon, which is very popular in Slovakia. We do a lot of uh, opinion pieces. Mm-hmm. So and then we do culture, like every day on two pages. When we started, we didn't have sport page because we didn't have good reporters on, on sports. Mm. Now we found these people and we run also sports. So that would be like an average uh, paper. And yeah. yeah. One of the biggest stories to come out of Slovakia this year was the murder of investigative reporter Jan Kuciak in February. For Matos, this was a watershed moment, but it also served to highlight just how independent Denik N was. I mean, today is the half-year anniversary of the murder of uh, Jan Kuciak, the investigative reporter, the young investigative reporter here in Slovakia. Before that killing, I felt completely secure as a journalist here in Slovakia. That was the reason why it was such a shock for us that it's possible also in Slovakia, to kill journalists and probably because of his work. So, I mean, I think Slovakia is a country with free press. Uh, I feel completely free. To be honest, this paper is a, is a proof for that. It doesn't mean that there are no pressures and that the politicians are not trying to push on, on media. That's the thing we are facing almost daily. Until the murder of Jan Kuciak, I would say it's a part of normal discussion between politicians and journalists, but uh, I feel free. For Monocle in Bratislava, I'm Alexei Korolov. We certainly kept our contributor Alexei Koryalov busy this year because we also dispatched him to Austria to speak with the editor-in-chief of Der Standard. The respected Austrian daily celebrated 30 years in 2018. With a growing readership, the paper is certainly doing very well, thanks in no small part to the paper's editor-in-chief, Martin Kotonek, who assumed the role about a year ago following a three-year stint as deputy editor-in-chief of Germany's Die Zeit Online. Alexei sat down in Vienna with Martin to discuss his first year in charge. This is Austrian journalist and publisher Oskar Brunner speaking to the country's national broadcaster, ORF, in June 1988. Having already launched two successful magazines, Trend and Profil, Bonner is about to embark on a new venture, an independent daily newspaper, which he says will be modelled on the likes of the New York Times and Neue Zürcher Zeitung, a brand new product for Austria. Bonner didn't have a name for it yet, but by the time the first issue went to press in October 1988, it had got one, their standard. 
So the Standard is an independent newspaper. It's owned by Oskar Bronner, who created the Standard 30 years ago when he came back from New York, where he was a painter. And at that time, his son was 15 years old and he wanted him to read a proper paper. And he didn't really find a satisfying one at that time in Austria, so he created his own paper. And he envisioned a more liberal editorial perspective, which is our guiding principle today as well. 30 years on, Der Standard is part and parcel of Austrian politics and culture, and a constant bone of contention too. Some see it as a mouthpiece for the liberal left, while others say it is conservative and elitist. Some praise its journalism, while others despise it. But almost everybody agrees it's been somewhat lacking in creativity and innovation in recent years. To remedy that problem, Der Standard's board of directors decided to bring in a new editor-in-chief in November last year, Martin Kotenek. A year into his new job, what has changed? So with, with print, when I came in, we started with a slow relaunch because a print is like a living room for our readers and we don't want to just change everything at once. We wanted to make very small changes and improve the living room once in a while. So I started with a reader dinners. I invited four or five readers over for dinner and we talked about their needs what they want from news coverage and what they like about the standard and what they don't like. And after, I think, maybe 10 or 12 of these dinners, you get a sense of what the main topics are that readers are asking for. And so we designed for these specific needs. For example, um, there was a big need to have a balanced view on new ideas of the government. So we came up with a new section, you can call it a pro and con section, where we collected all the arguments from all the experts on both sides and we displayed it there. And you could do that really nicely in print because you have the whole page and you can display it like that. Just by talking to the readers and by designing for their needs, we slowly changed our sections and by that our layouts and our reporting. Mm. But you came here with a background in media already. So when you came here with this background, did you identify some problems immediately? Did you identify some areas that needed improvement straight away? Um, we worked a lot on how we think about our stories. I think many newsrooms think about topics in a way how they create pages or how they fill sections. And we started to look more into how we create stories. So we came up with different velocities of stories. We started to think in a fast track, a middle track, and a slow track. I can give you an example if you want. Please. So there's the, um, the hospital in the north of Vienna, a new project. And we found out that a shaman was hired to create an invisible force field around the hospital so that everyone inside this magic bubble would be protected from, from whatever, <laughs> bad forces. Mm. So this is the fast track to see this story and to write about it immediately. And then there would be the middle track, someone who can think about who's responsible, whom should we ask for an interview. So for example, we found out that there is a site in the north of Vienna as well, where they replanted an elderberry tree so it doesn't disrupt the energy force fields over there on that <laughs> side. And also at the highways, they would put energy stones to prevent accidents. Mm. So you can see the bigger picture. Mm. And then at the slow track would be 
our weekend edition long read story about the obsession of Austria with esoterica. And the same we'll do now for online as well, because our website really needs a, a redesign. We have been studying a new approach with our German edition, derstandard.de, And now we are taking some of these insights from the German edition and, of course, new ideas we have for Austria and designing a new website for Austria. Yeah, one of the things that struck me was that the look of the newspaper, the actual print edition and the website, those two are completely different and you wouldn't for the life of you know that this is the same publication. Not only the website and the paper look different, they also had different logos. Yeah. So there was the print logo and the online logo. And now for our 30th anniversary, we found a new logo for both of them. It's now a combined logo mm. where we took parts of the online logo and parts from the print logo and created a new one. And I think it was by intention when the standard was created There was a, a print design chosen that made the impression as if the standard has been there forever. That was by intention, by design. But you need updates once in a while. And that's what we did with the print design over the last year. We slowly updated it and improved people's living rooms by that. Finally, on this special edition of the programme, we head to Denmark to talk about Weekend Arvison. It's a culture and analysis-heavy weekly in six parts published every Friday morning. With sales of 60,000 and a readership of close to 300,000, it's unique on the Danish media landscape in bucking the trend in print's decline. Monocle's Copenhagen correspondent Michael Booth met up with Weekend Arvison's editor Martin Krasnick to hear why the grand old lady of Danish newspapers is finally entering the digital age. Weekend Arvison sits in a tree a bit away from everybody else. It looks like a strange bird and a lot of people looking at it would say that thing can never fly, but it can. And it's also the oldest bird in the tree, the oldest newspaper in the world, is that right? Yes, it is. Continuously in print since 1749. It didn't look exactly like that. It was uh, printed daily, uh, most of the time. But now it's a weekly magazine. It's out on Friday. It's five sections. It's long or longish articles. A weekly newspaper, not yeah. magazine. Well, it looks like a newspaper and some people would say it's a magazine. I say it's both. So you think of it as a kind of a, a long read, something that will linger for the week in people's houses on their coffee tables? Yes, definitely. Actually, I mean, we have a point of not asking how much people are reading, because I'm sure people are not exactly telling the truth when you <laughs> ask people about that. I mean, the important thing is that people buy us and keep us and like to have us in their homes. And I hope that most of them are also readers. <laughs> Now, the other unusual thing about the bird in the tree... Yeah is that it's actually bucking the trend in decline of sales of newspapers in Denmark. Beacon of Eason is showing an upward curve. What do you attribute that to? Well, actually, we did follow with everybody else the big global downwards curve for some years, but we changed that. I think it's two things. One explanation is that everybody else panicked a few years ago. They gave 
good journalism away for free. They spent most of the energy in trying to create new uh, sections, new formats, new digital you know, outputs, uh, and they forgot the most important part of it, which really is to create interesting journalism. And Vegan Division didn't do that. It was, well, it was out, to say the truth, both out of stubbornness and also out of an extremely, you know, clever take on this, uh, the whole digital thing. And we just did exactly what we had been doing for many years. We actually doubled up on journalism, on background, on perspective. We created new sections on science and a section for kids. And the result was that, as you say, the trend, the curve changed. And Martin, don't take this the wrong way, but if our listeners go to weekendofeason.dk and see your website, it's not the most contemporary design for a newspaper website. In fact, it's kind of... It's a museum. Right. A museum for homepages. And but we, we are changing that. We are changing that. If you, because, of course, I mean, if you want to read Vegan Reasons newspapers online, you should be able to do that. There's no point in you know, <laughs> denying people that opportunity. So we are, we are changing that. But we are not changing our focus. We are not taking energy, money, journalists from our print version and putting them into digital we are creating our digital version around our print edition on Friday. We're not giving away snippets and snacks and pieces away suddenly of Weekend Division. You buy Weekend Division in one piece, also digitally. And there's going to be a paywall online? Yes, there will be a paywall. Yes. And why is that? Well, because, I mean, good stuff costs money. Nothing is, is free. I mean, our, we have around 30 people working here full-time. Uh, a few of them is, you know, highly paid. It costs money to create good journalism. Everybody else knows that now. Everybody else is changing the bad habits of the last 10, 15 years. And I think that's a good, a very good thing. The main issue here, I think, is that what made people buy magazines and newspapers when I was young and when you were young in the past was many things, you know. It was uh, uh, to know the, the weather, what was in the cinema in the weekend, television, you know, uh, financial markets, personal issues, uh, could you find a date, all kinds of things. Everything of that sort is gone. It's completely gone and it will never come back, never, ever come back. The only thing that we have that is important and that what people want to pay for is the relationship between the writer, the journalist and the reader. And this relationship is crucial, and everything we do is to to uh, develop that and protect that and make it interesting. If if you ask how we look at ourselves, we look at ourselves as a Danish-European publication. It's a very, very important time of history we're in as a European publication. A lot of people, well-educated Danes or Europeans, normally when they go also digitally, would look into American, English publication, you know, English language publications. What has happened the last few years is that the debate over Britain and America has been much more inward-looking. After Brexit, after Trump, it's about specific American-British issues. It's crucial, I think, to give European readers a European perspective. Now, Martin, you recently became editor of the paper. Yes. What is, what's been your stamp on Vikernavisen? Two things. Well, three things if you add the whole digital, digital experience that we are trying to you know, develop right now. But that's not the most important because that 
it's not so difficult. Two things. First is that when I was at Wigandavisen many years ago as an intern, Wigandavisen was the main cultural newspaper of Scandinavia. If you were interested in cultural issues, art, literature, whatever, you had to read Wigandavisen. And for some years it hasn't been like that. And we have to create Wigandavisen. We have to re-establish Wigandavisen as, as a beacon of cultural journalism in Scandinavia. That's the first thing. The other thing is a refocus on journalism, because when I'm talking about background and perspective and so on, I mean, it's, it's not only a, a weekly magazine editor who's talking about that. Everybody's talking. Every daily is talking about that. Everybody's talking, is saying that they're moving away from speed, from reach, from, you know, uh, digital presence everywhere and so on. News into perspective and and so on, uh, background. So the competition right now is much tougher for us. So we have to be sure that we have the best writers. And that's it for this special edition of the programme. Thanks to our producer, Fernando Augusto Pacheco, and our editors, Cassie Galpin and George McDonough. As ever, comments or queries are welcome. Do write to Fernando. You'll find him on fp at monocle.com, whether that's to share a favourite moment from 2018 or something we should be covering in 2019. You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Tom Edwards. Until next time, it's goodbye from me, and have a very Merry Christmas. 